Feels like we're launching like a Star Wars movie right now. <laughs> I uh, have had a few moments in my life where I've been questioned. And a um, few times it's been in like a court situation. Um, that was a little unsettling. Uh, have you ever had to be in a situation like that where maybe you were defending yourself or something and it feels very serious? And, uh, and the, the judges can be kind of a little bit intimidating. Uh, kind of no nonsense. There's a couple of judges here in Polk County that, like, they, they literally intimidate me. But being questioned, it, it's tough. Uh, maybe, maybe you've had that moment where you've been questioned. You know when that officer pulls you over and he asks that question? You've heard it. Do you know how fast you were going? And in that moment, you have a come-to-Jesus situation. Do you admit that your cruise control was actually set higher than the... Okay, I'm calling out a few of you. Yeah, being questioned, it feels... Even when, like maybe you, like me, I've had moments where I've been questioned. Maybe it's my integrity or it's whatever it might be. And, and there's been times where I'm even intimidated when I'm pretty sure I didn't do anything wrong. You ever been questioned in a situation like that, and you're pretty sure you didn't do anything wrong, but you still feel kind of weird? Oh, well, maybe you did do it. You know, your, your mind starts to second-guess that a little bit. Yeah, it's not so fun. Questions are good. That's how we learn things. We, we want to question things that happen, or, yeah, it's good. We learn information that way, but sometimes those questions can turn into interrogations. Maybe you can think of a moment recently where it seemed like a, innocent set of questions, but then it started to feel like I'm being interrogated right now. Maybe it was by a spouse. I don't know. But it's, uh, it's intimidating. Jesus is going to face some questions today. And uh, this is some of his last uh, interactions with the Jewish leadership before what would be his death. And uh, so it's, it's pending. And he's going to be questioned. Imagine being in a position where you question God. Maybe you've done that in your life. So we're going to see some questions that Jesus is asked, and they're trying to get him. They're trying to do whatever they can to take him down, to, to diminish his authority, to get this rabbi out of their hair for good. And we're going to see a rare moment in the scriptures where a lot of different groups in the Jewish leadership sort of work together, which you don't really see a whole lot. And we're going to see that today. If you have a Bible or a device... I encourage you to open to, to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to start with about verse 15 is where we'll kick off. I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here with us today, whether that be online or in person. We gather like this, like Christ followers all over the world. And we meet on a Sunday because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead and changed human history. That's why we meet. We want to lift his name up high. We want to hear the scriptures uh, and then put them into practice. Right? It's not just about hearing, but it's about putting them into practice. And today we're talking about questioning Jesus. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God in heaven, you're mighty and powerful. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Father, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that's ready to listen and obey. And Father, as we see these questions, I pray that you would shape us as a people from these answers that Jesus gives in the text. So Father, we lean into your word, and may your Holy Spirit move powerfully. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you can stand with me, I'm going to read the scriptures, starting with chapter 22, 
verse 15. Get ready for some questions. Here we go. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrite? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And, he, and Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled. And they left him and went away. The same day, the Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. And now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died. and Having no offspring, he left his wife to his brother. And so then to the second and the third, down to the seventh. And after them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered them, You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Ouch. For in the resurrection they neither marry or, nor are given in marriage, but are, are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead. He's not God of the dead, but of the living. And when, when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teachings. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, <laughs> I feel like there's this back and forth, all these groups, so you go now, you go now. And now we get yeah, another moment here, another question. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, well, then how is, is it that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I, I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's sit down. All right, so a lot to unpack here. We have some pretty... Pretty powerful questions, some pretty big challenges, really, not just to Jesus' teaching, but his authority. And, uh, and just small challenges, right? Uh, the first one is, uh, gosh, how do you handle taxes? That's a loaded question. <laughs> Still is a loaded question. <laughs> what do we do with governments, right? So that's, that's a small thing. How are you going to handle that, Jesus? Talk about a rock and a hard place situation. That's the first challenge. The second challenge is, how does the whole uh, after we die thing work? So that's kind of a big deal. And then finally, uh, 
Jesus take the entire scriptures and sum it up in one sentence? Easy peasy, right? All three challenges, we got this. How is he going to answer these questions? Well, first of all, let's, let's go back to that tribute to Caesar, that whole tax that, that sparks the question. There was this annual poll tax that apparently had to be paid uh, to the Roman government by all adult Jews. And many Jews felt like we can't pay taxes to this evil government. And so there was this whole tension. Well, if you paid the tax, well, you're just, you know, deferring to the man. You're just paying for this evil government. But on the other hand, if you refuse to pay this tax, as a, as a good Jewish person, you were also now liable for violating the law. So how do you handle this? How is Jesus going to handle this conundrum? Is he going to be on the side of Israel or the side of Rome? See what they were doing? They were kind of pitting this sort of battle. And, uh, and I'm curious to see what Matthew's face looked like. So remember, Matthew, the, the guy, our author here of this gospel, what was his job before he met Jesus? Tax collector. So I'm guessing his ears are pretty perked up right now. Like he's like, that's a great question, Jesus. How are you going to answer this? I mean, you remember, that's what I did for a living. The tax collector is probably real keened in on what Jesus is going to say. What side is he going to fall on? It's a loaded question. It's a fair question. What do you do with this? And um, so in this rock and a hard place, Jesus says, well, get me a coin. Now, this is interesting. They're in the temple area. The Jews knew they weren't supposed to have any kind of images or pictures or idols. And so we have a, a, an issue where Jesus says, go get the coin. Now, I don't know if some of the leaders there had the coins on their person, which would have been interesting because they pull it out, Jesus got you. You've got an image that's not of God in the temple. That's like major no-no for the Jewish culture. Now, I don't know if they had it on their person or they had to go find something, but they go find a Roman coin or they had it with them, and they show this coin to Jesus. This is a denarius. If you've never seen one, notice there are images on this coin. It is stamped with something. There is an image, and this, uh, this coin had a, a phrase on it. It was propaganda for the Roman government. It said on there in writing, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. So a picture of the Son of God, according to them, divine Augustus, is on this coin. You, you see the layers going on here. Uh, they shouldn't have had the coin in the first place, nowhere near the temple. It's got this image stamped of propaganda talking about this divine Augustus. Uh, yeah, this is a problem. And, um, and, the, and the Jews should have rejected those coins. Uh, this is a problem for them. How is Jesus going to answer this? Well, he tells them this genius idea. Well, let's see, what is uh, stamped in the image of Caesar, you give to Caesar. But what is stamped with the image of God, you give to God. You see what he's doing there. You see, back in Genesis, we were told that humanity was made in the image of God, stamped with his image. Jesus is going all the way back to the beginning. And saying, this is an image of Caesar. Give that to him. He has, that's his jurisdiction. But you're human. You're my jurisdiction. 
What a genius answer to this question. And he's doing something here. He's asserting that we have a civic duty. That there's some civic duties that we have. And, and the Roman government wasn't like any worse than the governments that have been throughout the ages. In fact, you, you could say the Roman government was pretty rough. Uh, some of those Caesars were pretty nasty. Uh, they're emperors and they wanted to be called gods. That's why this, the coin has that on there. And so Jesus is showing something that we have some civic duty here, but ultimately we're stamped in the image of God and everything we are belongs to him. Does that make sense? But what a wild way to get out of that conundrum where he's asserting, yes, we have governments that we live in, and God's people have always faced this problem. This has been a tension all the way back to the beginning of the Hebrew Scriptures. You think about all the empires, Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, then you have the Seleucids, then you have Alexander the Great, you have Rome. We've always been a people of exile living under other governments. But we have a king and a kingdom that's not of this world. And that tension here, Jesus navigates that perfectly. We have, we have some obligations, folks. We live in, this, live in this country. But your ultimate allegiance is who stamped you as his, and that's God. Oh, there's so much depth we could go to that. God lays claim to every individual life. I mean, one commentator said, Jesus is, is, is making a subtle yet powerful contrast. Caesar's image is on the denarius, so he can lay claim to money through taxation, but God's image is on humanity, so he can lay claim to every individual life. There are matters that belong to civic government, and uh, there are matters that belong to God's realm. Jesus is saying there, there's, there's some obligations here. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, considering the last several years and all the things that we've had to go through with pandemics and all of that, where we're trying to navigate, how do we, how do we live as, 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 as people of the kingdom of Jesus and also live in the country that we're at? How do we navigate civic duty and what we honor God with? These are tensions that God's people have lived with and will continue to probably live with. So, Mic drop, right? That first challenge, Jesus won, <laughs> Jewish leadership, zero. All right, so then we go on to this, this next challenge. And this is a yeah, resurrection. Now, what, what they're trying to do, the Sadducees bring this up, they're the disciples of the Sadducees, uh, and this, they're, they're, they're using some law here. Deuteronomy 25 speaks of uh, this idea of carrying on the family line. And so it was for the purpose of making sure that the, the property stays with the family. It was a very patriarchal society. And so the, 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 the firstborn makes a difference, and the man had to you know, carry on the line, right? That's, that's something that Deuteronomy said, hey, this is an important law to, to be aware of, and so that the family can continue to thrive. And uh, that was the point of Deuteronomy 25. But Jesus probably already saw some of the, I don't know what you say, the the hypocrisy in these Sadducees who don't even believe resurrection. In fact, they, they really are more interested in the first five books and they could can the rest. The Sadducees were really about Torah. We call Torah, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what their big thing was. So they don't even believe in resurrection. And yet they're asking Jesus questions about resurrection. And you notice they don't even care about the whole continuing the property and the family line, which is what that law was for. They're more worried about, well, who's... They're looking at the drama 
of which wife is going to get the, the, the dude in the afterlife. What a weird way to try to win this argument. Again, they don't even care about the reason the law was there, was to carry the family line. They aren't even interested in that. They want to know who is going to be married of the seven. You know, they're looking at this awkward situation. You know, you're in heaven, and which wife? That's a weird, a weird thing. And it's interesting that Jesus goes to the Torah as well, but he goes earlier in the Torah, back when God was talking to Moses. And there's a word that these Jewish leaders had skipped over. Because when Moses is being kind of commissioned by God, Moses wants to know, you know, what do I tell, you know, what do I tell people? How does this all work? If you remember that story, there was some back and forth between God and Moses on getting this whole, you know, Egypt project and getting the people out. That, there was some, some stuff there. And, uh, and he tells Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He doesn't say to Moses, I was the God of Abraham. I was... He says, I am the God of Abraham. One word silences the Jewish leadership. Read right over it. That he is the God of the living, not of the dead. And that opens up so many things for us. That there is new heavens and earth. There is recreation. There is a kingdom, not yet, that we get to experience. There is hope for those we've lost. This isn't the end. And it opens up so much. One word. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac. And that begs the question, where, where are they? These open up questions, right? There's something else going on with new heavens and new earth and, and resurrection. And what's ahead? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of the living. So... Silences those folks. So now what's the score? <laughs> Jewish leadership, zero. Jesus, two. And let's just take a moment and talk about these groups that keep making these challenges, right? We have the Pharisees mentioned. We have the, the Sadducees. We have disciples of those two groups. But then we also have a group called the Herodians. Now, that's not a group that shows up a ton in the scriptures. So let's talk about Pharisees. That's the one most of us know. There's a, uh, a Jewish historian that was kind of working for the Roman government in the first century, Josephus. And he says that this group, this Pharisee group, was a fairly sizable group, much bigger than these other groups. Uh, they were more the, the group that were, were sort of your everyday in the synagogue, helping you wrestle through the law. They were very specific. Oh, we've got to make sure we follow the law. We've got to follow it, follow it, follow it, because then God will be happy with us, and we'll get our nation back. That was kind of their thinking. And the Pharisees, they, they celebrated the Torah and the law and the prophets and even the writings of some of the rabbis. So they kind of celebrated the whole bit, and they did believe in the resurrection. But the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, obviously, they have theological differences. They've got political differences. In fact, the Pharisees talk about not liking Rome. They were the group that really didn't want to give Rome any deference. But the Sadducees, they had kind of found themselves into that ruling class, especially in Jerusalem, the temple city. And uh, so they'd kind of gotten enmeshed with some of the leadership 
of Rome, and a lot of the Pharisees did not like that. Uh, it was even worse for the Herodians, because they were a group that kind of were a fringe group. This is confusing. They're a fringe group of the Pharisees. We still have this weird stuff going on today. Are you Baptist? Are you Calvinist? Are you Arminian? Are you Pentecostal? These things, these divisions, I don't know what, what's wrong with us humans. We have all these divisions, and... Uh, and we want to argue, but that was happening then too, and the Herodians were fans of, you guessed it, Herod Antipas. They were fans. They were in his fan club. Uh, and again, that, that probably rubbed the, some of these other groups the wrong way, because you know, you're, you're, again, you're, you're, you're getting in with power, and we don't like that, and Herod's not really a good Jewish person anyway, um, but the Herods were, were a big part of the, the second temple rebuild. So uh, there's all kinds of political stuff going on, but you don't normally see all these three working together. You get this moment as we read through that, that, you know, like this group is over in this corner, you know, and it's like, okay, you guys go now. That didn't work. Okay, you guys go now. Get him. You know, and you guys go now. It, it, every time it doesn't seem to work, but you know what happens when people have a common enemy? Sometimes they can get together. And these groups found some common ground in getting rid of this troublesome rabbi that seems to have everyone in the palm of his hand. The things he's saying. It's going to upset us all. It's going to upset our power structure. It's going to upset everything we believed about Messiah. He was blowing that all out of the water. In fact, some of the Greek words for silenced and amazed and marveled, uh, the Greek says like when they were silenced, they were muzzled. They just couldn't say anything. In fact, one of the Greek words for marveled is this blown away. They just were blown away at what he was saying, stunned into silence. This was uh, some of the last controversy Jesus had with the religious establishment. And boy, does he doesn't pull punches on this. He doesn't, he's done with that. Well, yeah, Matthew records this last challenge. Uh, Matthew says that you know, Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and their disciples, and so here come the Pharisees again, and, uh, and, and they, they use one of their, their favorite people in the Pharisee group, a lawyer, a scribe, someone. We think lawyer, we think, yeah, court systems and stuff, but the lawyer often, in this case, is someone who's, who's, whose job is to make sure that everybody's following the law. Because, uh, like on Sabbath, yeah, the Lord said to keep keep the Sabbath holy, but we need to know how to do that so that we don't even come close to hurting the Sabbath. We don't want to violate it at all. So we're going to put guardrails around that. And that got codified into laws and traditions. And uh, so they had to know this stuff. So here's this lawyer now, and he's, he's thinking, I got him on this one. I got him. He was good on these other two challenges. I got him on this one. I'm going to make him, I can just see this in his head, I'm going to make him summarize the entire Hebrew set of scriptures, the entire good book, into one sentence. Impossible, right? For, for a guy that knows the law stuff, right? He, he studies, this is his life. He's like, there's no way this Jesus rabbi can do this in one sentence. Well, we know the, the rest of the story, don't we? He does it in basically one sentence. And, and Jesus is, is, is answering this back-and-forth game that 
was common in the Hebrew culture, especially in the academic culture of the first century with these different Jewish groups, they would do this thing called greater lesser. And, uh, and it, in another way to put it, they would say, well, what has more weight, what has less weight? This was a common way that they would do debate and argue with each other. And uh, remember, this is before Google. You could look it up in two seconds. They had hours on hand, and they could do this back and forth. What has more weight? Well, this has more weight. Well, what about this? this would, they were doing this all the time. So this is a classic Hebrew riddle here for Jesus. What has more weight? Of all that we know, what has more weight? Uh, and I like the fact that at least this guy calls him teacher. So that's nice. You know, he doesn't butter him up. If you notice the beginning of the first challenge, didn't you hear that when I was reading it? Oh, teacher, you, 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 you're so good, you know, and you're not swayed by anybody. They're, they're kind of building him up, you know, before they hit him with the, the taxation question. This guy, at least he seems respectful, calls him teacher. And, uh, and Jesus, in this wonderful, amazing way, answers this basically in a, in a single sentence. And he's using... The Shema, which for the Jewish people that was well known, that hero Israel, the Lord the God, the Lord your God is, is one. For you should love your, you know, you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And uh, so the Jewish people would know that pretty well. And uh, so he's probably thinking, okay, hmm. And then Jesus adds some Leviticus on there. Jesus adds Leviticus 19.18, which says, and equally, love your neighbor as yourself. And with that, that sums up the whole thing. Everything that God wants really for humanity is, is right there. Does it in one sentence. And uh, as you know, it, that was the third challenge. He won it, and mouths are closed. They cannot believe these three challenges would have thrown any rabbi probably. It would have been days and weeks and years. They would have to kind of navigate all the weightiness of what he does it in a, in a single sentence. Third challenge met. And so then Jesus questions them. Just as a little kind of final note. He basically says, hey, how is it possible the scriptures, and he's, he's quoting like Psalm 110. How is it that uh, we say that the Messiah is David's son, like King David, like way back in the day, uh, so how is that? How can he be David's son, and yet uh, also David is writing about his son being the Lord? How can he be his son, but then also the Lord? How can, how can that work? And in that moment, Jesus is basically claiming all of the Messiah stuff. He is the son of man, son of David, son of God, Messiah, kingly line of David. All of that in one, and the Messiah is greater than all this, and they don't have a word to say. And I would imagine that Jesus' heart is heavy. I mean, this is it, the last time, and it turns violent. But man, I just, I, I, gotta, I gotta see his heart in these challenges where he's just wanting to just give them a big hug, and they would have it not. In the language of Palm, or, you know, Palm Sunday, right? I would gather you. I would have gathered you like a hen gathers the chicks, but you would not have it. And this is the final bit, and they remain speechless. And I wonder about us sometimes here. I wonder about how we question the things of God. We question Jesus. 
When he says something, we try to find our way, wiggle out of it. I mean, when we hear the text, when we hear the text, do we read it with an open mind or a closed mind? Are we willing to see Jesus, to hear him? As, as is often said, do we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that can listen? And when Jesus is teaching these things, what are we doing? Is our mind open, closed? And I wonder, how are you doing with some of these teachings? Let's talk about the first one. Are you giving Caesar what is Caesar, what Caesar's, and God what is God's? Now, uh, we've all gone through, again, a pretty rough five-some years where we've had to navigate what does this look like for us to honor civic government and ultimately honor our image maker, the Lord. How are you at navigating? Are you rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's? For instance, do you vote? It drives me crazy sometimes. And I'm not getting partisan on this at all. But if you're going to complain about it, well, at least have voted. Vote your conscience. This is, this is a, a God-given right that we have, which is great. Be a good citizen. Pay taxes. Ooh, do I, I went down that road. Who's, who's cheating taxes? Jesus said, and, and again, we can't just read what he says and just dismiss it. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. What are you doing with that? Are you, you being a good citizen? Are you upholding your, your bit of the deal? Yeah. Voting in taxes, that's just one thing, but are you serving your community? There's, there's things here about there's some civic responsibility, and I think that's important. And Jesus is affirming that, but also saying you're made in the image of God, not in the image of Caesar, so remember who's God. Our ultimate allegiance is to the Lord. So how are you navigating that? It's Jesus' words. It's not my words. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. How do you put that into action? You know, are you a person who, when you pray, you're seeing the Lord as the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And that, that we are resurrection people. We are a different sort of people. We live resurrection day in and day out. And Jesus told us how to be resurrection people. He gave it to us in one sentence. To be resurrection people, you love God with everything you got, and love that neighbor. Yes, that neighbor. You know what I'm saying. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we are resurrection people. We do give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but we give to God what is God's. And we live as great commandment people. That's how we live. I mean, these questions right here, these answers, are lifeline for us. This is how we live in the now and honor the not yet. We are given to Caesar what's Caesar's, we give to God what's God's, and we live resurrection life because our God is a God of the living, not of the dead. And we do that by loving God with all we got and loving that neighbor, whoever God puts in your path. James would write, it, write about this as the royal law. This is the royal law of love, and that's how we operate. How can you do that this week? How can you operate that way? Again, maybe... Maybe we get back to that first challenge. You know, are you rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God what is God's? Are you living as a resurrection person? Who are you called to love this week? It might be someone that maybe you don't agree with or 
but you're called to love your neighbor as yourself. It's part of, it's not, it's weird how people say, well, I really love the Lord, but my neighbors are real, you don't know this person. They're, they're connected. Jesus just connected them, and they aren't to be pulled apart. You love God, and an expression of that is you're loving your neighbor. You love your neighbor, you're loving God. There's, 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 there's a two, it's too connected. You can't pull them apart. Jesus just did that for us. You want to sum up this whole Bible thing, those two. That's how we live the greatest resurrection life. And the only point I have today is that we would be greatest commandment strong. That when people look at us, you and I, when we leave this place every weekend, that we go into the community in our neighborhoods, we are great commandment people. That they would see us loving neighbors and go, hmm, let's be that kind of people. Let's pray. Father, you're good and mighty, powerful. Give us eyes to hear, ears to listen. Lord, change us by what this teaching has, has revealed, Father. Help us to be, uh, yeah, good citizens, but ultimately remember our citizenship is in, in your kingdom. And the now and the not yet is that tension. So, Father, help us to be uh, living that way, to be resurrection people. They're loving you with everything we got and loving our neighbor. And, Lord, may you do a mighty work through us, and may, may this community feel the weight of loving our neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen.